Hi everyone, uh, so the games are coming thick and fast and this Steve Perriman podcast is being recorded on Saturday evening so the next few minutes will be dominated by some results this afternoon. Uh, of course, the Spurs 3-0 win over Leeds uh, consumed most of my thinking um, with what I thought was a dubious penalty decision that Harry, of course, dispatched, followed by a near post run uh, from Son to score from, you've guessed it, yes, a Harry cross with a Toby header to finish it off. I think that our team was helped by the tempo that leads player as we look better when at tempo which you must be to be able to compete with these particular type of opponents so great victory gets us back on on track after a few disappointments and we will feel a lot better about our team at the moment I'm sure really disappointing to hear about the three Spurs players who broke the COVID rules and I personally wouldn't like to be in their shoes when the club and Jose deal with this lack of discipline and respect for the actually lack of respect for the general public when we're all being asked to make uh, such sacrifices at this vitally important time in our fight against uh, this awful virus. So we'll see how this one plays out, uh, but I'm sure the club and the, and the manager will uh, will deal with it appropriately. Uh, more about my health situation later, but back uh, to today's results. Looking through my rose-tinted glasses. Absolutely delighted with Chrissy Hewton's result for Nottingham Forest. And also my friend Paul Tisdale's victory with Bristol Rovers, having been a goal down against Blackpool at home. Paul was appointed manager about eight games ago and I wish him well in his new job. Uh, of course, I worked with Paul Tisdale for many years at, uh, at Exeter City. And when, when Wenger resigned or was pushed at Arsenal, Paul was the longest serving manager. And I think that lasted for about three months. So when you think how long uh, Wenger was manager for, then that puts Paul's term at Exeter City in, in some sort of perspective. So three results out of three from, of course, my own perspective. When Howard's finished with his report, uh, I will explain my link with Brentford and my friend Phil Holder played a large part in that, especially when taking my first managerial role and uh, 
taking Phil as my assistant. So while talking to Phil earlier, he mentioned Harry Redknapp, a, a great friend to both of us and someone that you all know and hopefully respect. Uh, they both have a love of horse racing. And Phil gave me an update on their particular results, which we always think of as a football day, but to them, it was a racing day. Uh, and I'm sure that you'll be interested in how they're coping, or I hope you are, in their recent uh, racing news. I'm not actually a racing man, so this information is no use whatsoever to me, by the way. So this was the latest news from the race courses today, hot off the press. Forgive me if this has no interest for you, but it won't take too long. So Phil's uh, had, a, had a talk with him on the phone and then asked him to put it in writing. Harry Redknapp has two new horses he owns. The first one ran and won at Lingfield called Wake Up Harry and looks a good prospect for the coming flat season. He named it after what they used to shout at him in the old chicken run at West Ham United when Harry was playing. So you should remember that one. Wake up, Harry. Horse number two is called Shake Em Up, Harry, which finished second in the big race of the day at Sandown over hurdles. Both these horses in Harry's patriotic colours of red, white and blue. So this was a good day had by all. I think there's a monetary aspect to that comment. But uh, next time I speak to Harry, I think I'm going to have a word with him about the red part of those patriotic uh, colours that Phil mentioned to me. So, um, Howard, welcome. Um, did you watch the, the Spurs game today? I'm sure you did. Of course I did, yes. And were you impressed? I was, and as you say about the tempo, I, I felt that Leeds obviously set the tempo and that, as you said, suited us. Yeah. Um, I, th I think the first 20 minutes, we seemed a bit nervous. They were creating chances and were, as the commentators kept saying, flooding into the area. But once we took the lead, we seemed to be to play the way we should have been playing in the recent defeats. Yeah. I never felt worried mm. during that game. Not even in the opening um, exchanges between the teams. I, I realised that Leeds started quickly and maybe better than us. But, you know, that, that doesn't worry me when I say it, see a tempo to the game. Because, as I tried to point out, I really think we're a better team when we play at tempo. Yes. So... Okay, Howard, so we've got three welcome points. And do you have any points about uh, historic games between Brentford and just a little the great Tottenham Hotspur please these are heady days for Brentford having spent most of their lives bouncing around between the second division the old third division and third division old fourth division 
they've found themselves at the upper end of the championship for the last few seasons without ever quite managing to get to the playoffs. However, this season, they moved to a new ground with modern facilities and increased numbers, coronavirus notwithstanding. This link to the local community will hopefully help the club to grow and set an example to others. I went to the old Brentford ground a few times when Steve was there and they're always very welcoming. And I particularly remember in the boardroom, there was this huge aerial photo of an FA Cup final. When I looked a bit closer, I, really, I recognised it as being Spurs Burnley 1962. But no one could ever tell me why that Fight Cup final was featured in Brentford's boardroom. I think, Howard, and I didn't know you were going to talk about that. I think that the FA gave that picture to every club that took part that year, for instance. Right. And therefore, then they wanted that to have a place in the boardroom as not an advert for the FA Cup final. It didn't need advertising, but, but uh, just to mark the occasion. Thinking about it, it would have been the, the 100th anniversary. Ah, so that's it. You've so that answered your own question. Well done. Since 1922, we've played Brentford only a handful of times. They've won two of those matches, one in League Division 2 and one in FA Cup tie in 1948. We've won all the other games. As I write this commentary, I'm aware that most football followers, fans, media, etc., take one look at the League Cup and assume this tie will be easy for Spurs. But in fact, it is a one-off opportunity for the underdogs. Spurs are currently in the top three of the Premiership, while Brentford are almost exactly one division below us. So, walkover? No way. Our closest connections have been that Brentford were managed by Steve and subsequently by Phil Holder. These two achieved a great deal in such a small club, and we'd love to see Brentford get promoted to the top level at long last. Well done, Howard. I think the League Cup has been notorious for... Okay, the FA Cup as well for giant killing. But I think the League Cup has been notorious for small clubs getting to the final. Yeah. Like QPR, as I would know, because I used to follow them at one point uh, with a victory over uh, West Bromwich Albion in the mid-60s. Yeah. Uh, Swindon, thankfully, beating Arsenal. Yeah, Tom Rogers. Uh, and then in the early 70s, when we played Aston Villa, they were in the old third division. Yeah. I think Norwich, the next couple of years on, I, I think they were in uh, the division below us. So, so lots of lots of upsets. So I, I think you're right in terms of we, we need to be careful with this one. Well, of every game, of course we do. But it is a, a, a possible route to a Wembley final, which is, I think, what we all crave for. So thanks for that, uh, Howard. Um, so I'm going to revert back to my link with Brentford. Um, you probably all know by now that I grew up in West London, not North London, in a place called Northolt. My mother's family were from Ealing. Uh, they were the Barwick family and actually quite notorious in that area. My father's family were from Hounslow. Um, they lived alongside each other, Elin and Hounslow. And, and Brentford actually is almost on the line between the two. So both families had an affinity to the bees, Brentford nickname. And I used to hear stories from my 
her mother's brothers, she had seven, about the famous players from the late 40s when Brentford were actually in the top division. And that would have been one of the years when they beat Tottenham, as you, as you pointed out, Howard, in the late 40s. Uh, and at that time, had lots of uh, international players on their books. So now we move on into the 60s when me and two older brothers were growing up in Northall and decided that football was for us. And so shared our football watching time between Brentford and QPR, both playing in the old third division. We traveled by underground to White City for QPR, Loftus Road, home games, and by bus or bike to Griffin Park. Uh, and that was from about seven years of age for me. So my brothers were nine and 11, and that's when we were started to be allowed to go. And I, of course, wouldn't have been allowed to go on my own at seven, but the fact I had two elder brothers, I was allowed. So jump on, in my early teens, I attended trials at both clubs, QPR and Brentford, not having been scouted as such, um, but invited um, because my oldest brother, Ted, uh, writing letters and requesting that I should be at least looked at. I wasn't successful at either club. So a bit later on, I made my way through schoolboy football, eventually to England schoolboys. And it's obvious to you all that Tottenham Hotspur was my choice of club when leaving school. Then had a career, moved on eventually to Oxford United and played there while helping them um, avoid relegation from the top league. Um, the next year started and, and my legs were, were fading. So with that knowledge, Frank McClintock, uh, one of our old adversaries from down the road, uh, who was manager of Brentford at the time, inquired uh, as to me joining him as his assistant at Brentford while seeing out the last of my playing days. I declined first of all, but then I realized I wouldn't be involved at first team level Oxford so I decided to accept the chance to enter the weird and wonderful world of football management. So assistant to Frank, playing most games. Unfortunately, after about three or four months, Frank McClintock got the sack and the chairman then, chairman owner of, of Brentford invited me to be the new manager. I think this was his plan uh, when allowing Frank to sign me. So against Frank's wishes, and he supplied information and, and evidence of letters that was to prove to me how negative this man was, this chairman, Martin Lange. But out of naivety, wanting my first job I decided to take the plunge and therefore became the manager. As I said previously, I appointed Phil Holder as my assistant and we set about to try and 
turn this club around. And at the time they were, when Frank got the sack, they were in some relegation trouble. And we managed to sort that out from, uh, from the off with, within you know, a month or so. And then we started talking about bringing in new players for the following season and starting up a youth policy and stuff like that. As a young player leaving a playing career, as an old player leaving a playing career, you, of course, call in on your contacts. And all my contacts at that point would have been mainly Tottenham Hotspur. In the time I was there for about two and a half years, I signed, of course, Phil was my assistant. I signed Tony Parks, the goalkeeper that made the vital uh, penalty saves against Anderlecht. Warren Gravette, maybe you won't know that name, but, um, but older supporters who follow all the teams at Tottenham, not just the first team, may recall him. Colin Lee, I took from Chelsea as my youth coach. Uh, we know Colin from the four goals that he scored against Bristol Rovers. Alan Cochran was another name that you may recall. And I even trialled Gary Brook uh, when he was coming to the end of his uh, career, but, but actually didn't sign him. So worked long and hard, uh, put in all my efforts. The first job is eye-opening um, you are I think a lot of managers fail their first job because of naivety because they think that everyone's going to be genuine and make decisions for the right reasons and um, just want to improve the team as much as you do personally yourself which of course is going to help your own personal career so I was allowed to make various decisions on signing players and I have to say most worked, some didn't. It's not possible to make every right decision. But that chairman, for instance, I'm going to name another um, Tottenham name now. Uh, the chairman told me within the first couple of weeks of taking his Brentford job that uh, I should get rid of the fat ass little waster. Uh, you may not understand that description. It, uh, the chairman had paid £25,000 for a 17-year-old at Cambridge United. And of course, this player needed to produce the goods and be available or worth a lot more money very quickly. And obviously, he wasn't in a struggling team. So um, I told the chairman, give me a couple of months to decide who I want, who I don't want. And uh, Andy Sinton was one of the best professional players I'd ever met. He asked me almost every day, Steve, and not in a crawling way by any means, what can I do better? So he was forcing himself on me, forcing an opinion out of me about his game and what he needs to work on. And he eventually ended up being the best right winger in the third division. And we were progressing. We got to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, played at Liverpool, albeit lost 4-0, uh, which I think I mentioned within our podcast of Liverpool some weeks ago. Um, but Brentford was starting to be noticed. And young players that were signing not only from Tottenham, but from Chelsea and a couple from Arsenal, 
and a few YTS players that hadn't been taken on from various London clubs. Uh, we started to do good things in the FA Youth Cup. We event the year that we got knocked out by Liverpool in the FA Cup quarter final. Uh, the youth team got knocked out in the FA Youth Cup uh, semi final by Watford, who were renowned for producing players at that time. So you can imagine Brentford were on the up. And I got to the point where um, new season really had great hopes for this team. Everyone was bedding in. We'd sold a free transfer that I'd signed from Arsenal um, uh, for £90,000 at Tribunal. And on our way home, the chairman asked me who I was going to sign. I told him about this lad at Fulham. And uh, it was obvious from the moment I mentioned him that he didn't want to sign this player. So I made my feelings known. This player was not going to cost us any money. The tribunal, I knew how the tribunal worked. Third division to third division. This was, was not a transfer fee. And I guaranteed the chairman that if I was wrong, and this did cost us a transfer fee, that I would uh, cough up the money personally. Which of course he said, you can't stay, you shouldn't be doing that, you can't. No, I know I can't, but I wanna prove to you how much I want this player. So eventually, because of the chairman taking too long, because he obviously didn't want him, um, that player got signed by Wimbledon, who were in the top league. This player was not a top league player, but Wimbledon were terrific at picking up lower league players and getting better out of them. And I promised the chairman that if by taking your time, you we lose this player, which I think is the final piece of the jigsaw, then I'm going to resign. Um, I had so much confidence in my ability without any experience of being a manager. So that, that comes a bit naive. I decided when I joined Brentford, probably because the, the letters of warning that, that uh, Frank had given me, not to take a contract. Um, they weren't paying anything for me to join. And if I was good enough as a manager and someone was prepared to take me, I didn't want them to get any money either. So, um, so I live by my word. We lost the player. Um, the Fulham player, um, someone had told the chairman, why chairman listen to people from the outside rather than the man who they're paying for his experience and knowledge. Someone had told him that this player had bad eyes, funny eyes. And when I asked for an explanation, I was told he stared. Well, Mr. Chairman, who is the best right winger in the third division? And he said, of course, you know, it's Andy Sinton, our player. Yes, the fat-ass little waster in your terms two years ago. This player never gives Andy Sinton a kick when we play our derby match against Fulham at third division level. So that's good enough for me. And if that this player 
stairs Andy Sinton out of playing well, then I want some of that stare in my ranks as a player. So anyway, I followed through, I resigned. Um, Phil Holder got offered the job. I was delighted for him. I gave him the same warnings that Frank had given me for the same reason, probably a bit of naivety. Phil didn't take the warnings. Signed a player called, with a Tottenham background again, Billy Manuel, if anyone can remember Billy. He also signed Chris Hewton and Brian Statham. Um, and that team was good enough to win the old third division. So that was a lot of effort by Phil, a lot of good judgments by him, a lot of background work by me for the previous two seasons. And um, Phil paid me the respect when he gave his uh, promotion winning speech at Peterborough, having won the last game of the season, which made them champions. So well done, Phil. He was the first man to get Brentford out of the old third division for 40 years. Four zero years. You don't do that by luck. And um, Phil repaid every bit of faith in him that I had um, with regard to his ability and his judgment. So uh, unfortunately, in the old second division, I then was managing Watford and um, Phil's team had lots of injuries, got relegated and Phil got the sack. After one championship winning season and one season out of their league, out of their league with injuries, he, uh, he got the sack. And if I could have, if I could have um, advised him at the end of that first year, uh, and probably when you win a league, you don't listen to advice. I would have told him, leave now, Phil. Go and get another job now. Anyway, that's my, um, that's my experience of being attached to Brentford. Uh, although it ended in a sour note, I'm delighted that I took the job. I did cut my teeth there. It did give me a chance to make signings and, and test myself. Um, and probably the one mistake I made was I didn't explain my decision for resigning to the Brentford supporters who had been through a lot of grief, a lot of trouble, a lot of anxiety over the years. And I felt they deserved better than me explaining to them that the man leading their club was so negative and so sort of up himself in terms of his own football opinion and prepared to take people's opinion instead of mine. And um, I think that was one of his biggest mistakes. And of course, I own up that we all do make mistakes. So um, that always made me wary of chairman. What's their, what they looking for? What they looking to do? Is it an ego trip? Are they looking to just earn money? Um, just to finish off with this, Andy Sinton was sold for a huge profit to QPR. 
he eventually went on to other clubs and ended up at Tottenham. Played, I think, 12 times for um, England and uh, is one of the players that I think I helped progress his game um, to a higher status. And um, me and Phil eventually regrouped in Japan. I, I, when I took the manager's job there, when Aussie decided to leave, I took Phil back over there with me. And we had a very good couple of years together. And so I was, I was very happy to uh, renew our partnership there. Um, albeit it wasn't my assistant in Japan, he was the, looking after the reserve team. But uh, of course, it was a different life for him. Uh, but I'm sure that he enjoyed uh, what happened out there. So thank you for listening. I said I'd give you an update on my, um, my health. Um, maybe you can hear it in my voice, but I'm now COVID clear. Um, so much to the extent I've had a haircut today and the lady that gives me the haircut, I told her how proud she should be because by giving me a shorter haircut you can imagine how long it was you have the ability to take about 20 years off my face so well done you um well done to Tottenham let's all look forward to the Brentford game um I just echo Howard's words it won't be easy by any means and we shouldn't think that it will be easy I'm sure Jose will will prepare the team correctly and uh, let's hope for uh, another Wembley appearance in this difficult season to give us all a, a bit of a lift. So thank you very much for listening. Um, hope you didn't mind the horse racing advice and um, look forward to speaking to you soon. And let's give our players a particular cheer, be it from afar with regard to this Brentford uh, important game. Thanks for listening. And, Thanks a lot. And up the Spurs. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, the ladies behind all three of us for their input and their help with the technical side of things. And um, speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Cheers.